Good morning, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, she won't be the next mayor, but she's not going away. Haiti Sadler joins us to talk about how she plans to continue to be involved in the discussion about Findlay's future. Also this morning, in the midst of another overdose spike alert locally, Senator Sherrod Brown discusses new bipartisan federal legislation aimed at addressing the opioid crisis. But what can it possibly do that lawmakers haven't already tried with only limited success? And with today being Cinco de Mayo, we have another collection of recipes from Kyra's Kitchen with a South of the Border flair. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Friday, May 5th, 2023. Not only is this Cinco de Mayo, it is Revenge of the Fifth Day. (laughs) For those who just, uh, may the fourth be with you is not enough, Star Wars hype. You've got Revenge of the Fifth today. But I will stick with the Cinco de Mayo. So... Happy Cinco de Mayo uh, to you today. Some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories of the day. That's what we like to start with here. And uh, I saw this story on the Newswire. And honestly, I can't believe we're talking about this with a straight face. But apparently, uh, according to this report, scientists at the University of California, San Diego, have discovered a way to potentially slow down the human aging process. We have discovered the fountain of youth, and it is in a Petri dish in a lab at UC San Diego. Uh, They say they can slow down the aging process by up to 82% with this research. The method, it says here, involves genetically rewiring a circuit so that cells in the human body do not deteriorate. And um, essentially, they are trying to reprogram the natural aging process. This is so far out there. This is science and uh, gene technology that is so far out. The DNA technology is so far out there that I just cannot believe that we are actually talking about this. Now, they do say this process is a long way from being used on humans, but I'm thinking when I saw this story, the first thought that crossed my mind was this is a perfect example of the old saying, just because you can do something, does that mean you should? I mean, think about it. If we were to, now this is not something that would allow people to live forever, right? Uh, At least not yet. They say they can slow the aging process by up to 82%. So you do the math, uh, slowing the aging process up to 82% means you could extend uh, human lifespan to like 135, 140 years based on the average lifespan today, which is what around 75, 77 years old, add another 82% to that. So it takes you to like 140 years old. And would you want to live? I mean, setting aside the question of whether you would want to live to be 130 or 140 or 150 years old. Um, I mean, in principle, I'm all for that. <laughs> in principle, I'm okay with not dying. I think okay. I think everybody uh, would be in in favor in favor of that in theory. But if you think about it, 
all of the implications of that. I mean, where are we going to put all these people if people live for a century and a half or so? Where are we going to put, how are we going to feed them? Think of the uh, economic impact uh, of all of that. I mean, theoretically, if you live to 150 years old, you're not going to retire at 65. But, you know, we're going to have enough jobs for these people. We're going to be able to house these people and feed and clothe these people and all. So there are an awful lot of implications here that, uh, thank goodness, this is a long way from being used on humans because I don't know that we're ready for that. And uh, I don't know that we would ever be ready for that. But uh, it's kind of interesting there. Some of the other uh, most interesting and buzzworthy stories of the day. Speaking of medical technology, this is pretty incredible. Doctors, um, and it doesn't, it does not say exactly where this is. It's an American team of doctors says has successfully performed brain surgery on an unborn baby, first of its kind. Brain surgery on an unborn baby this particular child had a prenatal condition called the vein of galen which carries high pressure blood to the brain the team managed to perform a procedure to correct the condition when the mother was 34 weeks pregnant the baby was born two days later and six weeks after birth the baby appears to be healthy does not need medication to treat this condition so the infant is in good health. Uh, according to Dr. Darren Orbach, in our first treated case, we were thrilled to see that the aggressive decline usually seen after birth simply did not appear. So it's pretty amazing stuff there. Performing brain surgery. And it, to me, performing brain surgery itself is just mind-boggling. No pun intended. But to do so on an unborn child 34 weeks of gestation that's just uh wow what can you say so the uh, big news story making uh, all kinds of headlines the uh, rhetoric is amping up again in between the u.s and russia in the ongoing war between uh, russia and ukraine of course america and most of the world supporting ukraine uh in that uh, battle and the latest apparently there were drone strikes near the kremlin uh, in Moscow, and uh, Russia is blaming the United States for this. Uh, of course, the U.S. Uh, denies it, says we are not taking an offensive stance in this. We are not getting involved. Heck, they say even the weapons that we have provided to Ukraine to defend their country um, were provided with the condition that they not be used to launch offensive strikes into Russia. So we are absolving any responsibility, despite what the Kremlin says. Uh, most of our uh, toughest pushback against Russia has been in the form of economic sanctions and American companies severing ties with Russia and so on. McDonald's, Pepsi, Netflix, Starbucks, uh, all have pulled out of Russia. And now, and now this is the latest Russians will no longer be able to swipe right on Tinder. According to a new report, the Match Group, company which runs dating sites like Match.com and Tinder and Hinge and PlentyOfFish.com, uh, 
They have decided to call it quits in Russia, citing their commitment to protect human rights. Now, they didn't specifically cite the war against Ukraine, but that is the obvious catalyst for this. The company says all its brands will cut off service in Russia by June 30th. Critics uh, are still uh, hammering the match group because, well, the war has been going on for more than a year now, and they're a little late to the party of severing ties with uh, Russia. Uh, According to one uh, the uh, the founder, it says the founder of the Moral Rating Agency, which is lobbying Western firms to stop operating in Russia. They say Tinder is fast for dating action, but slow on moral action. It should just switch off tomorrow. But say better late than never. That will bring them to their knees. <laughs> and then we can live without McDonald's. We can live without Pepsi. We can even live without Starbucks and Netflix. But you cut off our dating apps now. It's getting serious. That may <laughs> that may finally be the catalyst that brings an end <laughs> to to the war. Maybe we'll see. Um, this is kind of interesting. Uh, the tech uh, world of technology. Back to uh, a world of technology. This is much uh, not as as serious as impl- implications of the medical uh, technology that we were talking about here. But this is kind of interesting. Uh, chances are. That at some point of the day, maybe while you're at work or whatever, you're uh, going about your business and you have a collage of open web browser tabs on your computer. Have you ever found that you've got like 10, 15, 20 open browser tabs on your computer? Whether you know it or not, experts say that is stressing you out. If you are, if you find yourself too stressed, close some of your browser tabs. Researchers in Finland found that one in four internet users are overwhelmed by the clutter on their computer screens. So they said, we began exploring which challenges make users feel overwhelmed when browsing the internet. We also mapped the behaviors that cause the clutter and how users react to the stress. Uh, They go on to say, we are all guilty of leaving tabs open after we've used them, uh, but it is not good for your brain. People, uh, people easily forget what they were looking for, and uh, things get lost in all the clutter. Our concentration lapses when interesting things appear on the screen and when we start following links and collecting tabs. We've all done that, right? Gone down a rabbit hole while uh, on the Internet. Uh, multitasking, they say, is at the root of the problem. Uh, like when you're chatting with colleagues in one tab, friends with another, ordering Grubhub with a third. You're doing all of these things at once. It's like a... Uh, It's as though a kitchen table were being used as a dining table, a desk for homework, and a play table for the youngest kids all at the same time. And without any tidying, it's the cyber equivalent. Making matters worse, using tools to try to organize your tabs can actually make matters worse. These approaches are similar to someone not actually cleaning, but just rearranging things in the same space. The problem doesn't go away. Instead... As they make a conscious effort to limit how many tabs you have open. Um, and that will. All right. So there you go. Close some of your browser tabs if you're stressed out. I say it'll work. And how about this? Speaking of technology and the pushback on technology, I thought this was interesting. You know about the 
new law in Ohio requiring you to put down your phones. If you're caught fiddling with your mobile device, uh, then you can be pulled over. You can be ticketed. It's all in an effort to eliminate distracted or not eliminate. I don't know that you'll ever eliminate, but you can reduce distracted driving. Well, you know what? Many of our com- uh, cars today have computerized touch screens themselves, and it can be just as distracting. Uh, distracting. So now there is a pushback, and a number of auto manufacturers are turning back the calendar to the days of tactile controls uh, rather than touch screens to control everything on the vehicle. Uh, it says after mounting backlash against the touch screens, uh, Volkswagen, Porsche, Hyundai, Nissan, just a few of the manufacturers that have taken public stances about the return of buttons and dials for a safer, more distraction-free vehicle cabin. And it's true. Uh, You know, if you're controlling the, you know, temperature, uh, you know, you're controlling the air conditioner, the heater in your car, it's a lot easier to do that when there's an actual knob that you can turn or a button you can push. You can sometimes do that even without looking or just with a quick glance versus... Uh, punching the buttons on a touchscreen because you know all of the all of the things on a touchscreen feel the same, so you have to look at it to make sure that you're pressing at the right spot, and that takes your eyes off the road. So I think that's a a great thing, and uh, would like to see more of those uh, manufacturers do that. Go back to uh, buttons rather than touchscreens on their vehicles. Kind of interesting stuff there. Some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Friday morning started. WFIN News, I'm Matt Demchek. Your WTOL 11 weather, plenty of sunshine expected today with a high around 70. Clear skies tonight, a low in the upper 40s. WFIN legend Richard E. Dick Doherty has been inducted into the Fifth Third Bank Wall of Fame at the Marathon Center for the Performing Arts. We spoke with his daughter Linda after the ceremony. What a terrific honor. I mean, the fact that his beloved Finley still remembers him 15 years after he passed is quite a tribute to everything that he did for the community and for Finley. I mean, he loved everything about Finley. Doherty was synonymous with promoting local music, particularly big band, dance, and jazz. Get more of our conversation with his daughter about this honor on our website. Family Resource Center has an open house scheduled to show off their newly renovated headquarters in Findlay. We are very proud of the new building, and we are excited to share it with everyone at our open house coming up on May 8th. Allison Yeager says a great thing about their renovation is that they're now able to offer adult and youth services under the same roof at 1941 Carlin Street. Their open house will be held from 3 to 7 on Monday. Get more on the website. In Perrysburg, high school students walked out of class to protest gun violence in schools. They planned the walkout as a way to advocate for change in every area possible. The idea ended up grabbing the attention of some 30 students and teachers, gathering at the track stadium and listening to a brief speech from senior James Zhao, who pointed out that there's been more shootings than days in a year. Zhao said that if they don't see change soon, he and his classmates are just as likely to have their names on gravestones as they are in diplomas. WTOL 11's Michael Sandlin reporting. 
Hancock Public Health will be holding a community baby shower event at the Finley Mall on Saturday. The Help Me Grow team will be on hand to check car seats, conduct safe sleep demonstrations, and give away door prizes and raffle items. Resource tables will be full of information and giveaways for new and expecting mothers and fathers. The featured guest speaker is Dr. Susan Grace, pediatric hospitalist at Blanchard Valley Health System. She'll be speaking at noon about the importance of safe infant sleep. Get more on the event on our website. Matt Demchek for 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. Now our cover story this morning. Something of a postscript on the primary election from earlier this week. She won't be the next mayor, but she is not going away. Haiti Sadler is with us this morning to talk about how she plans to continue to be involved in the discussion about Finley's future. And Haiti, I know obviously uh, the results on Tuesday were not what you had hoped for, but now that you've had a few days to kind of digest everything, what is your takeaway from the campaign? Thank you, Chris, for having me on this morning. I think um, in my <clears throat> run for mayor, I found a lot, a lot more issues in the city of Finley than what I had imagined. So there's a lot of work to do moving ahead. I'm thinking as I continue to fight for the families of Finley and for the heart of our community, I believe that um, I'm just, I'm just trying to decide which direction I'm going to go. I will continue to write on my Facebook page for the mayor with um, information regarding city council, the strategic planning committee, since I I was attending those meetings this week. And um, I'm just going to keep informing the people. Being educated in our community is, uh, there's so many big words being used. I'd like to break them down to layman's terms so people can understand. And, um, and then, and then encourage them to get involved by count, calling their councilmen, um, are sending letters to our mayor, writing, writing letters to the editor and, and things of that nature. So that way our voice can be amplified. What did you learn from this experience? I mean, much was made of the fact that you were kind of a political newbie, that you had not run for office uh, in the past. So uh, when all is said and done and the dust settles, what did you learn from this experience? I, you know, I hate to say this, but I learned that um, the city council, if we push, if, if our voices are being heard, that we can make moves. I saw, I was on the front lines. I was in the meetings when they had the meetings for the farm animals, right, in the city council chambers, and then that was tabled. The annexation pushback, and that's been tabled. There's a lot of things that I've seen that the people have made moves towards, and um, and that changes things. So we encourage one another to continue to, I don't want to use the words fight back, but fight for our cause um, and our rights as property owners. Um, I think I, I think we can make a change, a good change, a change for our city. When you talk about it, it you know, it's kind of interesting hearing you uh, discuss some of these things because I, I know for a lot of candidates, especially newcomers or outsiders or uh, candidates who run for office who are considered long shots, many times they will get into a race, be it at the local, state, or even at the national level, not necessarily, uh, you know, obviously you want to win, you don't get into the race unless you win, but the main 
goal is to change the conversation in some way or to make sure that certain issues are being talked about uh, more so than they would be otherwise. Is that a fair assessment of kind of what your goal was going into all of this? Yes. When I got into the race, I, I wasn't sure of the outcome, and that was not my purpose, Was even though I could see myself being a winner, but to bring awareness to some of the things that the city of Finley is doing. I mean, I was, as I've said many times over, I was on the front lines of the Strategic Planning Committee, and I heard the voices of the people. And even in campaigning, going door-to-door, meeting with groups, I heard the same things that I was hearing on the front lines of the strategic planning committee, the opioid crisis, the homelessness, the illegal aliens, um, the money spending, um, $40 million on a park. Those were really the concerns of our citizens, and they still are. So I'd like to uh, continue to address those as they unfold uh, to the city council. I'd also like to um, bring more awareness to the agenda that we are following. One of my big questions through this whole race has been, whose agenda are we following? If we're part putting a novice in office, you know, four or five years ago, is this her, her plan? It looks like a plan that was already set in place. And I'm trying to get to the bottom of what plan is that? Whose plan is that? And what does that look like moving forward? And that's my biggest concern because this top-down government, which actually we see, we've seen over the past four or five years, more clearly, um, I think is really dangerous to our citizens, to our constitutional rights, to our medical freedom, which I also address. And um, looking forward, like I look at world news and seeing what top-down government does, I'd like to push back on some of the agenda that they're pushing. And I'd like to get more answers. I have, I do plan on following up on some of the conversations that I've had with our mayor, with city council. I'm gonna follow up and continue to just get answers about our city. When you talk about continuing to be involved, and you said earlier that you're not entirely sure necessarily as to what that will look like, but are you considering running for office again, either mayor or uh, some other uh, elected office in the city? So the mayoral race is going to be in another four years, right? I think there's a lot, a lot of work to do between now and then. I'm just going to let God position me for the next race. I'm all ready to keep on running, right? I mean, I'm exercising truth. I'm exercising, exercising our constitutional freedom. I'm going to keep in that direction. Whatever that looks like, whatever doors open for me, um, I will consider. Um, I have to consider my family as well. But there's a lot of work to do between now and, what, 2027. 20, um, mm-hmm. So we'll see. We'll just have to see. And what has been the feedback that you have uh, gotten uh, in the past few days from your supporters? Oh, the feedback has been amazing. Um, they, I've heard things and, and seen encouraging words, and they bring me to tears because they've said, we're glad somebody has stepped up to fight the Finley machine. Thank you for being a voice for the people. Um, thank you for running. We hope you don't stop. I mean, the feedback has just been amazing. Would you do it all over again if you uh, could go back in time and and make that decision I, again? I would do it a hundred times over. <laughs> I would do this race a hundred times over. As a matter of fact, when it was over, 
Um, when I found out when I was getting the, as the results were coming in, my husband was, I was falling asleep when the results were coming in. I was exhausted, <laughs> but they were coming in and I, I felt invigorated. I woke up on Tuesday morning and on Wednesday morning and I thought, yes, let's do this again. And how can we be more effective and what can I do? And I was already looking for the next race. Again, she won't be the next mayor, but she's not necessarily going away. Haiti Sadler uh, with plans to continue to be involved in the discussion about Findlay's future. Haiti Sadler, thanks very much for uh, taking the time this morning. We appreciate it. Thank you, Chris. Well, by now, you know that just within the past week, past few days, local health officials issued another overdose spike alert, the second such alert in just a little over a month in the community. And that has prompted some to question the effectiveness of the community's response to the drug problem locally. Yesterday on the program, we spoke with Brittany Nye and Gary Bright from Hancock Public Health about the numbers and how they are attacking the problem. This was part of that conversation. Is this an official designation, this overdose spike alert? Is there a definition or a threshold uh, that uh, leads you to make this designation? Yeah, so we have um, three overdoses within a 24-hour time period would automatically generate the spike alert. Mm -hmm. Um, I can also manually um, enter a spike alert, and that's what we did this time because we were seeing a lot of overdoses over, you know, a short period of time. So what are the, the numbers specifically? I mean, what are uh, what have we had? What are we seeing here? So in about 10 days, we had 12 overdoses. Um, 11 of them were non-fatal and one being fatal. So is there any uh, speculation or uh, any insight as to why uh, we're getting, again, second time in just a little over a month? Uh, as far as we're aware, there's no real trends that we can see right now. Um, most of them need did Narcan to be revived. Uh, 11 out of them did. Uh, so, I mean, it's opioid related. I think it just goes back to right. how dangerous our drug supply is. Now, this is, and, and certainly to put this in perspective, this is nothing that is unique to our community necessarily. I mean, right. everywhere in the right. country, they're uh, you know struggling with this uh, issue. But does it sometimes seem like we're, there's that old saying, two steps forward, three steps back, but without the two steps forward? Yeah, I, th- I think people can make that assumption when these alerts come out the the reason we put them out is just basically for awareness you know to let people know that um you know the drug supply is dangerous you know encouraging people to carry naloxone um encouraging people to refer folks they know who may be in need to harm reduction services to you know we have the quick response team in family resource center so that for example these 12 was it right overdoses well 11 non-fatals as soon as we get those um, our quick response team at family resource center and our harm reduction staff makes a physical outreach attempt you know actually go out to the location to try to talk with the folks to get at what you just asked you know what is maybe going on you know Mm -hmm. what what can we learn 
to prevent these. There have been some who who question the mm-hmm. effectiveness of the community's response to the drug crisis. Right. Uh, as a matter of fact, I think it was uh, Councilwoman Holly Frischi on social media posted uh, just right. earlier this week in response to this uh, second overdose spike alert that yeah. it seems as though the community's response has been reactive instead of proactive. Is that a fair criticism? No, I wouldn't say so. I mean, because... Again, if you don't understand addiction, looking at it from the outside, of course, it looks like a bad behavior Mm -hmm. because using drugs, yes, is illegal. Having an addiction is not illegal. However, just simply by having an addiction, um, a lot of times we treat that person as a criminal automatically. They're not someone who has a substance use disorder who needs to be treated with compassion and um, given evidence-based treatments, they're criminals. So they just we need to punish it out of them. But we've had, I don't know, how long has the war on drugs been going on? 50 years right. or more? Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of evidence. A war on different drugs. This yeah, happens yeah. to be so, the one we're battling right so now. So there's a lot of evidence to show that that does not work. Mm-hmm. So if there's anything we need to change, it is that kind of war on drugs philosophy that we can somehow punish a medical condition out of a person. So the three contacts that we put out whenever there's a spike alert is, yeah, the Project Dawn, mm-hmm. um, our syringe service program for people who are continuing to use, and the quick response team. The goal is we're going to catch that person at whatever stage they're ready for. So mm-hmm. if they say, "I no way, I'm not ready for treatment, that's not, okay, well, come to the syringe service program, we'll make a connection with you there, and we'll continue connecting with you all along your you know recovery journey if they are ready for treatment quick response team folks can get them into that Um, and then again even when they're with our harm reduction program they always have access to treatment while they're there the minute they're ready Part of our conversation with Brittany Nye and Gary Bright from Hancock Public Health yesterday, you can hear the full conversation in the Good Mornings podcast, but building on that discussion from yesterday now, recently, Senator Sherrod Brown introduced new bipartisan legislation aimed at further addressing the opioid crisis at the federal level. New this morning, we spoke to the senator about that bill. Senator, you uh, recently introduced what you describe as major new bipartisan legislation to address the opioid crisis. What is this legislation and how will it make a difference when so much of what we've done to this point doesn't seem to have made much of a dent in the problem? Well, I worked with Senator Portman on this bipartisan bill that, that helped, but not nearly enough. So I'm working with Senator Scott. Uh, I'm the chair of the, of the uh, Banking, Housing, and Affairs Committee. Senator Scott's the senior Republican on this committee. We teamed up on the Sentinel bill. We work with the largest police organization in the country, the Fraternal Order of Police. And on, a, on an event that we did, he called our bill. He said, this is declaring war on the drug cartels and on the Chinese for what they're doing. We're seeing fentanyl coming from China through Mexico, um, made even more potent and lethal than in the past and then sold into the United States. Uh, and we, we, um, we attack this with sanctions and our law enforcement people, both overseas and in the United States, uh, we need to scale up, step up on, on treatment programs during the pandemic. Uh, mental health issues sort of took a backseat, logically enough and understandably, but the fentanyl, the fentanyl deaths and crisis got worse during that. So it's all of the above. 
And this bill um, now has, I believe, seven or eight Republicans and seven or eight Democratic co-sponsors. I've spoken with the leader, the, the majority leader in the Senate. He wants to move on it. Uh, Biden will sign it. I think we can get it through the House, too. So um, this is a this is a significant step. It won't certainly won't end the opioid crisis and the number of deaths that come from overdose. But it will it will matter. You mentioned that much of this stuff, this fentanyl is coming uh, through Mexico, from China, through Mexico. That is one reason why many say that we need a much tougher border enforcement and criticize the president's handling of the uh, border crisis. What say you? Well, I say yes. We we I, uh, Clinton didn't do it right. Bush didn't do it right. Trump didn't do it right. We've got to do it right, and that means more troops at the border. Um, but it means it means going after these drug cartels in Mexico through sanctions, going after the Chinese for sending this stuff. So it's not. I mean, it, people want to make it as it's all coming across the border. Yes and no. It comes a lot of ways. It's not just coming across the border. So that that's a that's a part of this, but it's not the whole story. And we've got to we've got it just by, you know, keeping people out at the border will not solve this again part of it but we've got to do more than that that's why the the largest police organization the fraternal order of police is so so working so closely with us on this issue i also want to ask you about this because it came up uh just uh, the other day uh, as you mentioned you chair the senate banking committee uh just announced uh, hearings into recent bank failures what are you hoping to learn or bring to light about that issue with these hearings uh, we well, we know what happened. We know these banks. Right. This bank in California grew; it doubled in size. I mean, you you talk about the big. It's about the same size in, in Ohio as Huntington, uh, Fifth Third, and Key. This bank was uh, was half or a third that size just three or four years ago. That's the first signal that there's a problem here. But what we saw is Congress passed a a bill to weaken bank rules. Then Randall Quarles, um, the former president's appointment to the Federal Reserve, weakened them further. Then he instructed the auditors and the the um, the, the bank examiners to to go easy on these banks. And look what happened. So I chair this committee. We're going to come down hard on these executives. They were greedy. They were incompetent. Uh, they didn't follow the rules. Uh, they had huge numbers of uninsured deposits, unlike a bank in Finley or Toledo or Fremont. Um, who insure most of their their reserve? This it catered to a lot of really rich people that took out hundreds of millions of dollars in the space of a few hours of that bank causing that bank run. So we know what to do. We've just got to stand up to the banks and get the regulators to do their jobs. And the you know that 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 in the end is the best solution here. A lot more we want to get to. But our time is short, so we will leave it there and pick up the conversation next time. Senator Sherrod mm-hmm. Brown, thanks very much for taking the for time. Sure. We thanks, appreciate Chris. It. Thanks always. Uh, with respect to the uh, banking issue yesterday, another regional bank, uh, te- I don't want to say it tanked, uh, but another regional bank could be in trouble despite those reassurances from regulators. So that continues uh, also to be a very uh, significant issue that we will continue to follow. But as for the fentanyl issue and the opioid crisis, you can learn more at our webpage. Go to goodmornings.net. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. A town in New Jersey is awash with mystery after hundreds of pounds of cooked noodles inexplicably appeared along a creek bed in the woods last week. (laughs) 
Now, there's a headline that I never in a million lifetimes would have expected to say. Hundreds of pounds of cooked noodles inexplicably appeared along a creek bed in the woods last week. Um, Fortunately, townspeople gathered to clean up the macaroni mess, but mounds of spaghetti and piles of other pastas, including ziti, were seemingly dumped by the stream near Veterans Park in Old Bridge, New Jersey, according to uh, images posted by resident Nina Jacknowitz last Wednesday. All of this happened. (laughs) Nobody knows uh, exactly what the purpose was or who dumped the pasta. Uh, Ms. Jacknowitz former council candidate estimated that there had to be more than 500 pounds of pasta left behind and no sauce, by the way, there was just (laughs) no, no marinara or anything like that. Just the noodles. (laughs) Uh, And it's, it's gotta be more than the case of just somebody making more than what they could eat because it's 500 pounds. I mean, how do you, Overcook 500 pounds of uh, pasta. They're still <laughs> searching for whoever did it and uh, in search of an explanation. <laughs> 500 pounds of cooked noodles. <clears throat> All right. Uh, elsewhere in the uh, broken news, the the uh, the nuns of St. Catherinadel need your help. The Dutch nuns have tended to their vineyards for almost 10 years and profits from the sales of the wine that they that they make, that the nuns make from the vineyards, profits from the sales keep the convent going. But this year's harvest is a little too bountiful. The nuns need to sell more than 60,000 bottles of wine and they have turned to social media for help spreading the word. <laughs> The nuns have partnered with um, a local marketer to help, and the wines can be purchased online for about $16 a bottle. Uh, According to Sister Maria Magdalena, we desperately need the income for the maintenance of the monastery, and so we can continue to live here. So, drink up! Because it's for the nuns. We have 60,000 bottles of wine they need to uh, offload. Maybe maybe they can uh, have some pasta in New Jersey with, a, the, <laughs> with the wine from the Netherlands. I don't know. Elsewhere in the uh, broken news, this was... Uh, I love this story. Uh, it comes from Oregon, where nine-year-old Jeremiah Longbreak was playing after school in his grandma's backyard when he found what he thought was a piece of petrified wood. When he took it home to show his mom, she noticed it was nothing like anything she had ever seen before. It's some kind of bendy areas. It kind of weaves through almost like a ribbon candy. After posting a photo of the object online, commenters observed that it appeared to be some sort of ancient tooth. So she had it looked at, and scientists have confirmed that the nine-year-old had, in fact, found a 10,000-year-old mammoth tooth. Right there in his grandma's backyard, this mammoth tooth. Uh, it says here what I thought was, 
was funny about the story, and this is what gave me a chuckle. Uh, Jeremiah says he is considering donating the tooth to a museum, but he says he definitely won't let his brother have it. (laughs) Not sure what I'm going to do with it yet. I may uh, give it to a museum, but I'm not going to let my brother have it. (laughs) Just a reminder that he is, in fact, nine years old. Uh, This is kind of crazy. Um, We often have stories in the broken news about uh, traffic jams created by uh, unusual spillages on the highway or occasionally uh, flights that are delayed because of strange things on the runway. Um, This is kind of weird, and I don't think we've ever had this before. A flight from Houston to Atlanta uh, was delayed for three hours Uh, earlier this week due to thousands of bees bees delayed this flight um angele and jetty is one of the passengers on the flight who posted online my my flight leaving houston is delayed because bees have congregated on the tip of one of the wings and they won't let us board until they remove the bees uh And this is where it gets a little crazy. Due to rules regarding bees and aircraft, apparently there are rules that cover bees and aircraft. And according to those rules, the airport faced a problem. A beekeeper was not allowed to touch the plane. I would imagine for security reasons, they couldn't bring a beekeeper onto the tarmac. Uh, And pest control was not allowed to spray the bees. Um, So... (laughs) They didn't know what to do. And they, for three hours, they're just sitting there hoping that the bees would go away. Eventually, they got the idea to turn on the engine of the plane. And that is when the buzzy creatures finally moved on. So (laughs) it seems like a very simple solution that somehow took three hours to come up with. But the plane was on its way. Everybody was okay. But it's crazy. Can you imagine uh, having to explain? I mean, if you were on an important flight for a business meeting or something and trying to explain to someone i i'm sorry i'm my flight was delayed three hours because of bees on the wing crazy and finally in the broken news this morning i don't know if i would do this this may be a bridge too far in terms of uh environmental responsibility i mean i think we all want to protect the planet to the extent that we can you know, we want to make sure that we uh, go green where we can, right? We want to be environmentally sensitive. Uh, but there are there's environmentally sensitive, and then there is taking it to the extreme. Rob Greenfield is an eco-activist who is taking this to a whole new level. Instead of using store-bought toilet paper, he is opting for a more natural solution, Leaves from the Blue Spur flower plant in his own backyard. Yes, that's right. He's growing his own toilet paper. And he's not keeping this revolutionary idea to himself. In fact, he is currently on a tour of major cities in Florida promoting his Grow Your Own Toilet Paper initiative. (laughs) A Grow Your Own Toilet Paper initiative. He sets up his compost toilet alongside packages of commercial toilet paper 
and his own leafy alternative, encouraging passersby to try it out themselves and ask questions. Uh, that's okay. I think I'll pass. <laughs> Can you imagine he sets this demonstration up in public places and asks people to uh, compare the two? What would you think if you were just walking down the street and somebody goes, hey, I'd like to uh, have you try my uh, grow-your-own-toilet paper? <laughs> I, I think I'll pass. Um, so why is he doing this, you might ask? Well, for Mr. Greenfield, it's all about raising awareness. He believes we have become too disconnected from where our products come from and the impact they have on the planet. By using toilet paper trees instead of buying commercial toilet paper, we can make a small but meaningful change. <laughs> I want to show people that another way is that another way is possible, he says. We live in this consumer culture where most of us don't really know where things come from, how they get to us, and what the impact is on the earth. And TP is no exception. We just buy it at the store and we never think twice about it. He wants us to think twice about it. I don't want to think twice about it. I'm just saying, I don't... There you go. Uh, that is today's broken news report. An update on the odd and unusual side of the headlines. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. This is Ed Vlance with OSU Extension. It's planning season. Drivers will be sharing roads with tractors and farm machinery. Be alert for slow-moving vehicles, especially on roads with limited visibility. Watch out for equipment pulling in and out of fields. Drivers and farmers, let's work together this spring to keep our roads safe and accident-free. This message from WFIN and 95.5 FM. Time now for your daily download, the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. How much longer the kids uh, got until they're out of school? It's not going to be very much longer now. And uh, families will be heading out on their summer vacations. Uh, travel season coming up. And if you are traveling with the kids, if you're traveling with the family, taking the kids along, uh, it's always a question, do you drive or do you fly? I mean, there are certainly uh, advantages and drawbacks to both modes of transportation. Well, a new survey of 2,000 parents found that the average parent in the survey will drive 1,400 miles before considering another mode of transportation. That's the delineating point. <laughs> 1,400 miles. That's actually much longer than I would have anticipated. I was thinking maybe, I don't know, seven, 800 miles tops. If it's anything longer than that, um, it's worth the hassle to fly. Because flying with kids is can be uh, every bit as big of a hassle, big as a headache as driving with the kids. But, you know, at some point... It becomes worth it, you know, 1,400 miles, according to parents in this survey. 85%, though, say they plan or they prefer to drive whenever possible. And the average family takes five road trips per year. 73% say that the car is kind of an extension of their house. Uh, it's a way of making memories, Spending quality family time together, sharing meals, all activities that kind of make the car feel like home. And what's the old saying? Half the fun or getting there is half the fun. They really kind of take that to heart.
And now, once again, to wrap up the week, as is customary, my wife Kyra has joined us in the studio for another collection of recipes from Kyra's Kitchen. Good morning, Kai. Good morning. And today, being Cinco de Mayo, we have a collection of recipes with a bit of a bit of a south of the border flair. Yes. So, uh, first up, and this is really yummy stuff. <laughs> it's also uh, really yummy, warmed up as leftovers. Yeah. So. It is. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll throw that out there because we uh, had this not once, not twice, but three times this week. Uh, <laughs> one pot taco spaghetti. Yes. So it's one tablespoon minced garlic, a quarter cup of chopped onion, one pound of ground beef, one package of taco seasoning, one 14-ounce can of diced tomatoes, two cups of water, eight-ounce spaghetti, uncooked, and one cup shredded cheddar cheese. Um, so add your garlic and your onion uh, with your ground pepper in a large skillet. I used my electric wok because uh, it's nice and big. And then break it up into chunks with your spoon or spatula and let it completely cook until it is brown. Um, then drain your excess fat. Um, add your taco seasoning, your diced tomatoes, your water, mix to combine. Then add your spaghetti and... Um, be sure that your spaghetti is covered up. So I ended up breaking up my spaghetti even more after I got it into the pot to make sure the water was covering it. Okay. Because um, you want it, because you got to, the spaghetti has to cook. You, I, obviously, so, yeah, yeah. So so bring it to a boil, then reduce the heat to low um, and cover the skillet with a lid. You're going to simmer for about 12 to 15 minutes or until your spaghetti is cooked. Um, Stir it occasionally. Uh, remove the lid. Cook for a few more minutes um, just to get some of that excess um, liquid. To get that evaporate. Yeah, yeah. yeah. let that evaporate. Mm-hmm. Uh, turn off your heat, add your shredded cheese, then cover um, cover your skillet with a lid again. Trap all of that heat in there yep. to melt the cheese. Let, yep, let the cheese melt and then serve immediately. It is uh, really, really yummy. And as you mentioned, uh, the wok is yeah. a great... Uh, dish to yeah. to use to, yeah, to do it's this big. um right and yeah. you know those are tough to find you can't mm-hmm. find walks yeah, as much. I, I mean uh back back in the day yeah uh that was a, a big thing i yeah. don't know how many kitchens have walks these yeah. days but you Elect- can find them electric like walks. on uh <laughs> amazon yeah and such. yeah but i got yeah i got ours on amazon yeah. um i searched everywhere when our first one that we got as a wedding gift died 30 some odd years yeah. ago yeah <laughs> i was like Oh my gosh, I can't what, believe what this do? is happening. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but yeah, you can do this yep. in any uh, skillet yes. or pan yeah. or, or what have On the you. Stove but yeah. It's fine also. Uh, to go along with the one pot taco spaghetti, we've got a recipe for cucumber salsa. Yes. So one seedless cucumber cut into half lengthwise, two uh, Roma tomatoes cut in half, one jalapeno ribbed and the seeds removed. If you want to keep the seeds and I have was it say, hot, you wouldn't you're have to. more than one. Welcome, remove the seeds yeah, if you I, want I remove the seeds. Spicy salsa. Yeah. Two tablespoons of minced garlic, two tablespoons of fresh cilantro leaves, one teaspoon of lime juice, and a quarter teaspoon of kosher salt. Place all your ingredients in a food processor and pulse until evenly chopped. Add additional lime and salt to taste and done. Serve yeah, with chips. Just as simple yeah. as that. Yeah. Really and easy. And if you want to kind of let it sit you know, for a little bit. Kind of all of those yeah. flavors blend those, a little. I mean, it's yeah. probably even better the next day. Absolutely. <laughs> so that's again, the way salsa is. With your 
uh, one pot taco spaghetti leftovers. You can yep. have your uh, have uh, your leftovers of the leftover. salsa yep. as well. And then for dessert, uh, this is not so much a south of the border recipe. No. Although I'm sure, I'm sure that in Mexico they enjoy peanut butter. Oh yeah, why I mean, not? <laughs> <laughs> uh, we have peanut butter blossom yeah. bars for yeah. dessert. Here. I made this um, a couple weekends ago when we went to. Um, Cleveland. So I made this yeah. for the family. Mm-hmm. So uh, half a cup of butter softened, half a cup of sugar, uh, half a cup of brown sugar, half a cup of peeny, creamy peanut butter, one egg, one and a half cups of all-purpose flour, three-fourths teaspoons baking soda, half a teaspoon baking powder, two-thirds cup chocolate chips, and then for their topping, it's 24 Hershey Kisses unwrapped. So, and yeah, some granulated sugar. You definitely want to unwrap them. Yes. That's Please important. unwrap them. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, my contribution. <laughs> yeah. Unwrap the Hershey's Kisses. <laughs> yeah. That's. <laughs> yeah. So, in a large uh, mixing bowl, combine the butter, your sugar, your brown sugar, your peanut butter, and your egg. Um, beat that with an electric mixer on medium speed until uh, well mixed. It's going to be nice and smooth. Add your flour, your baking soda, your baking powder. Um, you're going to mix that, and it's going to get kind of crumbly, a crumbly consistency okay. of dough. Uh, stir in your chocolate chips. Press in the bottom of a 9 by 13 inch baking pan. Sprinkle evenly with your sugar. Bake at 350 for 22 to 24 minutes, um, just depending on your oven. Uh, you may need to... Wait a little bit longer. Like I said, depending on your oven, you want it to be golden brown. Okay. Uh, Remove from the oven immediately and top with your uh, Hershey Kisses uh, four by six in row. Uh, Then let it cool completely. Your Hershey Kisses are going to get shiny, but they're not, if don't touch them, they're They'll be fine once they cool and stuff. Then they'll they'll, they'll hold their, their shape. Yeah, they'll mm-hmm. hold their shape. Yeah. yeah, just don't don't touch them. <laughs> <laughs> okay, <laughs> because if you do that, yeah, then they won't hold their That's shape. That's right. Yeah. Yep. Because they're going to get well a little soft. Just do some frosting on them. It's good. Okay, you, you could do that too. Cut into squares with um with the Hershey Kiss in the center and store in an airtight container. And Enjoy. Th- let me tell you, this is just kind of a, a random thing. What I loved about those uh, is the uh, extra granulated sugar. Just gave it just enough of an extra sweet taste to it. It was just uh, delicious. They were really good. Yeah, Mm -hmm. these were really, really good. So we have the uh, recipes for the one-pot taco spaghetti, the cucumber salsa, and the peanut butter blossom bars on the Kyra's Kitchen Facebook page at Kyra's Kitchen WFIN. They are posted there, so you can find uh, those recipes on the Facebook page make sure you like that uh for all of the recipes and other fun stuff from kyra's kitchen we also have a link up at our webpage at goodmornings.net if you want to check that out uh you can find the uh, the link there and if you have a recipe that you would like to share or if you have something you are looking for we'll get kyra on the case all you have to do is uh, reach out you can uh, reach out through facebook or you can email us goodmornings at w fin.com and uh, we will pass that along some good stuff from uh, Kyra's kitchen there this morning my wife Kyra thanks very much you're welcome and that will finish up our podcast for today want to thank all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning and remember you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each and every day on the program at our webpage go to goodmornings.net 
Coming up Monday on the program, won't be long before the kids are out of school, we'll explain why summertime is the perfect opportunity to teach young people important lessons about taking control of their money. And we have some tools to help parents do just that. So until Monday morning, that is Good Mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day, a great weekend. We'll catch you back here next week.